well, good morning. Good to see you guys. It's good to be at church today on a rainy 3rd of July. I want to welcome everybody in the room today as well as those joining us online, excuse me, at all of our campuses, our Midtown campus, as well as our Robertsdale camp, Robertsdale, goodness, I can't even speak today, our Robertsdale campus as well over there in the Dale with, with PJ and Ben. Good to be with you guys. And uh, man, today's just going to be a good day. We get to uh, continue on with our water series, and I am excited because TC gets to pinch hit for Chris, and he's better looking anyway. So uh, it's going to be a, I mean, thank you, thank you. I mean, I feel like I, I need to bow or something, but man, it's, it's, it's going to be a good day. And we're taking a deep dive into the book of Psalms today. So if you got your Bible, you can take it out. If you choose to follow along digitally, you can follow along there as well. Um, something you may not know about me is I am a musician. Uh, I've been a musician for about 17 years. I love guitar. Uh, I love drums. That's how I actually got into ministry. Uh, Music just does something for me. And I really believe music is something that transcends our world. Music is on earth as well as in heaven. Uh, And there are some special songs that are near and dear to my heart, as is probably true for you as well, right? Can you think of some songs that maybe take you back somewhere? Um, I can think when I was eight years old and I heard Life in the Fast Lane by the Eagles and I thought, dude, like that electric guitar or More Than a Feeling by Boston, like I just, like I heard it first on a cassette. (laughs) You know what those are, right? Uh, And man, it was just, it did something for me. Uh, Music does something for all of us. Um, If you hear the song Sweet Home Alabama, like there's a million roll ties that happen in the room. And for whatever reason, I hear that song and I can just picture Nick Saban in a tuxedo t-shirt, like just his foot up on a, another national championship trophy or whatever, right? Um, what's another one? Let's see. There's a song, Marry Me, by Train. Some of you are like, what? Uh, that song was played at my wedding. It takes me back to March 25th, 2011, when I said yes to my best friend. I mean, it does something for me. Uh, when I... When I hear any song off of Paradise Valley, which is one of John Mayer's albums, I immediately, I am brought to like fall and pumpkins and because everything's pumpkin spice and the mountains and and wearing things that don't make sense because we live in lower Alabama and everyone wears high boots. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, But music does something for us. It takes us somewhere. It's the reason we have not just music, but Christmas music. I mean, it takes you somewhere. It elicits emotion. It reminds you of a time in your life. It can take, to, take you back to when you were, you know, a wee lad or last year even. Uh, music has this supernatural ability to remind us of times in our life. The book of Psalms, which I love the book of Psalms, and I hope uh, if you are far from God, far from church world today, you will get a, just a unique vantage point into the Bible. Um, man, it, the book of Psalms is literally a book of songs. It is like, Dave, if you don't know this, David, who is the primary author of the book of Psalms, he was a musician. He was a man's man, no doubt, but he was a musician. And what we're going to find out today is the book of Psalms, aka the book of songs, man, it covers the full spectrum of human emotion from grief to joy to, to sadness to happiness. It's all there. David, if you read it, Enough. You will see David like flirted with the line of heresy. He flirted with the line of suicide, but he always brought his doubts and fears and held those things in one hand and the truth about who God is in the other. 
and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we're gonna take a deep dive. I'm excited, check it out. Psalm chapter 42, verse one says this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. How on earth are you gonna preach a sermon on that one little verse? So here's what I know about music, is music means, it means something so much more when you know who the writer is, why they wrote it, what was going on, who were they writing the song to, and what was it about? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take that approach, which is a healthy approach to scripture. If you ever want to have a better understanding of what is happening in your Bible, it is truly, truly awesome. So we're gonna take that approach to scripture, okay? And I wanna give you some context, because context, man, it's everything. What you need to know, I told you already, David is the primary author of this and Psalm chapter 42 is no different. I told you, David goes on like this roller coaster of emotion, okay? And there are high points in David's life. If you've been or spent any amount of time in church world, you've probably heard of King David. He's a big deal. He killed the giant. Come on, follow, work with me. He killed, he killed the giant, right? He, he, uh, the Bible tells us he killed a lion. Like, I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure there's no one in here that's killed a lion with your bare hands. Pretty impressive. He was a man's man. We also know David had some low points. He did that thing with Bathsheba. We're not gonna talk about that. But like, there's some times where David has some moments I bet he's not proud of. He is, he's almost like the, gosh, the, the Tim Tebow of the Bible. The Bible says that he is the only person to have a, he was a man after God's own heart, right? He was the guy you want your daughter to marry. Just saying, like he was a, a cool dude. Had some high moments, but he had some low ones. Psalm 42 was written during one of David's low moments. Now, because of time, we don't have time to go over every little detail of why, but we know historically this, is, this was written when David was fleeing his son Absalom, which is just fun to say, okay? Now, I'm gonna, I don't know about you, but if my dad named me Absalom, I'd probably be after my dad too. Uh, but his son Absalom was after King David, and he wasn't after him in a loving way so that he can give him a, a fatherly love fist bump. No, no, no. Absalom was after King David because he gave him a terrible, I'm kidding, not because he gave him a terrible name. He's after David because he wanted to smite him from this earth. He wanted to take out his dad. Okay, any parents in the room? All right, you probably argued with your child. I mean, my, my son, whenever I take his Skittles, he probably feels the same way, but I would bet he doesn't want to get rid of me like murder dad. Absalom was after King David. So what we know is when Psalm chapter 42 was written, when it was written, David would have been overwhelmed with anguish, with sorrow, despair. He was at odds with his son. Can you imagine how sad he must have been? This would have been absolutely awful. Things are not good. And so David's response, I love this, as should our response be when things are hard, his response was to worship. Think about that. When's the last time something bad happened and you decided, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna worship God in the middle of my trial. Put your hand down. No, you didn't. You didn't do that. No, well, we don't do that. That's not our natural default. But David's default was when things are tough. Watch this. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. O Elohim, the one true God, which is what is translated there. Isn't that cool? Like in, in the middle of his despair, 
He reached out for God in worship. And I want you to take all that, okay? Let's put it on the back burner, all right? Because there's something else that I don't want you to miss here. If you got one of these, a physical Bible, either in the room or on our campuses, I wanna tell you something that is really cool and very helpful for when it comes to reading the Bible. Because if we're honest, sometimes, I mean, I can remember being like 12 years old going, you know what, I'm gonna crack up in my Bible and I'm gonna read it for, for 30 minutes. And by minute two, I'm like, oh my God, like the book of Lamentations is just awful. Like, how do you get through this? And there's so many, John begat James begat yada, yada, yada. I mean, this, this genealogy stuff that we think, I mean, if we're honest, and I'm a pastor, little boring. It's a little boring. I mean, some of it's just hard to digest. Can we be honest? Some of it is hard to digest. And so our default is when we see those things, we do what? We skip over it. Turn the page. Oh man, that's boring. It's got nothing to do. And I'm here to tell you that there are things there. When you dismiss those things, you miss out on the last bite of the steak. Like it's so good. And you will have a better understanding of the truth at hand if you will just behold like press pause, instant replay, anytime, by the way, anytime your Bible says behold, that's not just a, a, a salutation or an introduction. Behold, literally, I mean, it's our equivalent to, whoa, 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 did you see that? Or whoa, 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 watch this. It's, it's, it, it means to literally press pause, slow down, and, and observe what is about to take hand here, okay? And so whether you have a physical or a digital Bible in the room or online, I want you to see this. At the beginning of chapter 42, before we get into verse one, in your Bible, it says this. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Which, again, yeah, you're probably going, cool. It sounds already. Well, that's great, buddy. Uh, can we get on the, with the message? What does this have to do with what we're talking about? This is huge because... First and foremost, where it's affirming what we're talking about, songs, Psalms is a book of songs. A mascal would have been our equivalent to a ballad or a sonnet. It would have fit underneath the umbrella of what we call songs. There it is. I told you. I was telling the truth. The second part is it says a mascal of the sons of Korah. Now, in Scripture, you've probably never heard someone tell you, man, today I want to be more like Korah. He's not a popular, I mean, it's such an obscure character in all of scripture. And so when I was handed this to preach on, I was kind of like, thanks, Chris, that's awesome. But when I got to digging, I realized, man, there is some meat on this bone. Like, it is awesome what is at hand. And to, to do some digging, to find out some information about Korah, I had to first, just admitting, I had to look up my, or use my friend Google and just, you know, remind myself on some Bible history here and, and go all the way back into the book of Numbers. Now, you have probably never heard someone mention the book of Numbers. The last time I mentioned the book of Numbers, I was in the seventh grade and I told a girl, I was reading the book of Numbers and I realized I didn't have yours. <laughs> and 14 years later, we got married. And I'm kidding, no, that's not true. She wouldn't have fallen for that, no, absolutely not. But in the book of Numbers, like one of those books that, let's just be honest, is hard to read, there is a story. You can check this out for yourself. You should read your Bible. It's an awesome thing. In Numbers chapter 26, we see a story of a guy by the name of, you guessed it, Korah. 
Korah would have been in the company, the nation of Israel that was led out of Egypt by that big guy by the name of Moses. Remember him? Red Sea, that whole thing? Dude, was awesome. Moses was a big guy. But Korah in Numbers chapter 26, we know historically in the Bible, wanted to overthrow Moses. He believed, he knew that Moses was in charge, but he believed that he should have been in charge. And so what he did is he got together a faction of people, uh, attempted to lead a revolt to overthrow Moses and Aaron and those guys. He was unsuccessful, obviously. And what happened is when he attempted this, the Bible tells us that it grieved Moses. While it grieved Moses, it actually angered God. See where this is going? Can you imagine? I mean, like if you've been a believer, a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, when you anger God, that doesn't always work out in your favor, okay? Just, just for what it's worth. You can go read it on your own. It's in the Bible. And the Bible tells us that in Numbers chapter 26, God literally opened up the earth and the fire within, you can use your imagination as to what that flame was, swallowed up, engulfed Korah, his camp, all of his relatives, his entire family, gone, smited them from this earth. That's why you don't know who Korah is because he's such an obscure character that is now a footnote in the stories we read about later on, right? So how on earth are the sons of Korah in the book of Psalms? I can't explain it, but this is pretty cool. This is why those little verses, those little footnotes that we tend to overlook are so, so important. We know that in Numbers chapter 26, verse 11, it's in your handout and on the screens right there online, it says this, but the sons of Korah did not die. Now, if you were reading through the book of Numbers and you saw that, you would have thought, that is a, you know, what a, that, that is a worthless detail. What does that verse have to do with anything? Well, if you fast forward all the way to Psalm chapter 42, you will see that the sons of Korah, by God and his sovereignty and his provision, somehow, somehow have made their way into the presence of mighty King David. I want you to think about this. Like it was a big deal to be a servant. It was a really, really big deal to be a servant in the presence of a king. It was an exceptionally big deal to be a worship leader, a vocalist, a singer in the presence of King David. I mean, like King David has Zach Adamson leading worship for it. Like it was incredible. That's Pastor Zach, the guy you just saw, yeah. So I want you to imagine this, okay? And, and I love how this same verse Coming at it from two different angles means something totally different to both parties at hand. David, who is overwhelmed with anguish and despair, and I don't like this nest, I don't, this doesn't make sense, but God, I need you as a deer, pants for flowing streams, so my soul needs you. Now, can you imagine the overwhelming amount of gratitude that the sons of Korah would have been singing? Can you imagine the emotion that would have been felt in the room if the sons of Korah were singing this? They knew the story about daddy getting smited from this earth. So they were all about some second chances and experiencing God's grace and his mercy. And, and this doesn't make sense, but somehow I am in a position that I did not deserve. And so I'm going to, with the same words, but a different feel, say, as the deer pants for water so my soul pants for you. Can you imagine what is happening here? David is penning this psalm in despair. The sons of Korah are singing this to the top of their lungs with joy, exuberant joy, 
because they are feeling they are in the middle of God's goodness. Think about how powerful that is. You can write this down. It's in your handout right in front of you. God is good in the mountaintops as well as the valleys. God is good in the mountaintops as well as the valleys. Hey, David would have been absolutely no doubt in a valley at that time, right? He would have been at a low point in his life. Things were not good, but notice how in the middle of his despair, he still tied his anchor to the truth of who God is. Things are not good as a deer is, is panting for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. And then the sons of Korah and moments of just, oh, I'm, Psalm 23, my cup overflows. This makes zero sense. I am so undeserving. But God, my soul longs for you. This is an incredible thing. For anyone, all walks of life, whatever you're going through in your life, something that encourages me so much is what the, what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13 is this, is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the alpha and the omega. It does not matter what is happening in your life. Is it important? Does God care about it? You better believe it. But Jesus Christ is still on his throne. Man, that's encouraging. David and the sons of Korah displayed this for us. And I think, I think it's something that we should probably adopt I think it's something that we should uh, 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 put, into, put into practice in our own lives. Because far too often, man, when we come, when it comes to our spiritual life especially, I grew up in church where doubts were not welcome. Man, you got doubts about your faith? You got questions? Woo, shh, don't bring that up here. Don't, don't speak that over my life, Ricky Bobby. Like, no, 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 we don't do that. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, someone in this room, man, you got doubts. You have been reading this and you struggle with God being real. You struggle with God being real and why you were on this earth and trying to figure out your, your purpose. Can I tell you, your doubts, your fears, and your questions about God, they are welcome in the throne room of God. They're welcome. Now, I wanna be really, really clear. Doubt is not what is toxic to your faith. You understand that? Because Man, way back when, when I grew up in Sunday school, it was like doubts, man, that's the enemy of your faith. No, it's not. No, it's not. Doubts are not toxic to your faith. Watch this. Unexpressed doubt is toxic to your faith. Doubt is not toxic to your faith. Unexpressed doubt is toxic to your faith. It's the stuff that we go, oh, I don't know about that, but we leave it right here. It's the stuff that when we show up to small group and you got a question and you don't wanna look stupid and you don't wanna say it out loud and so you just keep it buried underneath. Man, that's, that's dangerous territory. It's dangerous territory. And I think there's something, something we can learn here. David and the sons of Korah. David, I mean, he had doubts. Man, as a deer, as a deer pants for flowing streams, I, this makes zero sense. God, I really don't like this. Are you up there? As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. Bring your doubts to the table, but make sure it is tethered to the truth of who God is. You see that? This is welcome, but this is immovable. You understand? So a healthy way to gauge where you are, spiritually speaking. I love this. This was taught to me when I was in high school, and I think it applies to us today. Because I love looking at metrics and going, am I growing in my walk with Jesus? 
And it really comes down to how I view the challenges and the, the speed bumps that, that I go through in life. And I think this will be helpful for you too. Uh, spiritual maturity looks like this. It's how I view God determines how I view my circumstances. How I view God, how I view God determines how I view my circumstances. That's spiritual maturity. That means when things are hard, God is still good. That means when I fail the test or I don't get into the college, God is still good. Is that hard? Is it bad? Absolutely. Does God care about it? 100%. But is God still good? Yes. Because the opposite is, is what we would call spiritual immaturity. It's how I view my circumstances determines how I view God. That's my, my seven-year-old when I take his Skittles. Like, Daddy must be a bad, bad father because he's not getting his way. Hopefully, if you've been walking with Jesus for some time, this, is, this has transitioned from how I view my circumstances determines how I view God to how I view God determines how I view the things I'm going through in life. <clears throat> here's, here's some examples for you. When I was um, in ninth grade and I didn't make the baseball team, it was devastating. It was awful. Guess what? God is still good. He worked that out for my good. Isn't that crazy? God is still good. What's another one? <clears throat> oh, here's one. Uh, I see, I, this is so prevalent in, in, in our area, but I have some, some friends who they, through prayer, went through a strenuous and lengthy process to open up their home as, as for foster care, as a respite home, right? And man, you just reach the point to where you finally get the call. You're so excited. Your heart is overwhelmed. You're getting, a, a, whether it's a teenager, a baby, or whatever it is, and you get attached to this child, okay? It's a beautiful thing. Only to find out a month, three months later, that, that baby or that child is getting snatched from you. Breaks my heart. It hurts. It hurts, doesn't it? It makes zero sense. And in a world where we want explanations and meanings for everything, you don't get one right there. And in the middle of that pain, in the middle of that heartbreak, guess what? God is still good. I sat in hospital rooms with people who had a week left to live with Pastor Zach singing worship songs because they know where they're headed. And it is not a good circumstance according to us. But God is still good. I've sat in living rooms with some dear friends when they received a phone call. Goodness, it would change the trajectory of their life forever. Got no words. Got no words. Not and everything happens for a reason. It's just hard and it makes no sense. But what I know is God is still good. He's still good. So hang with me. <clears throat> Other thing I like to do with songs is, uh, this is a discipline I've had to learn, is I have to go through them lyrically. And if you're a musician in the room, you can probably relate to this. My wife picks on me all the time. Because when it comes to music, I tend to gravitate toward what I hear musically first and not lyrically. Um, so there have been plenty of times where we're riding in, in, in the car or at home and we got music playing and, and Megan will tell me like, babe, that's not good music. Like that, lyrically, that's awful. Like what are you listening to? And I don't hear, I can't hear, I don't hear the lyrics first because I hear the music. I hear the, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna dance for you. I'm a white dude. I got no <laughs> funk whatsoever. But I hear the music first. 
So you can imagine how we, how challenging that is for me to hear a song lyrically. I have to behold, see that? I have to press pause and go, oh wow, that is rich or that is trash or whatever it is, like that helps. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at the lyrics of this song. So it says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, oh God. Now, one thing I'd like to note is the deer was panting because it was running. If you hunt in this room, you can probably think of 270 reasons that deer's been running, right? The deer was, he was panting, he was running, he was also, he was thirsty, right? You know what it's like to walk outside of your home and be outside, especially in July heat, for five seconds and you're drenched immediately. Makes zero sense, but it's like walking through soup. It's awful, right? And, and man, there's nothing more refreshing than after uh, a hot day of yard work and, and man, my mom said, you better stay outside if you're nasty. You need some drink, you do what? Drink from the hose, right? And I come from a generation where we did this and we survived. It's okay, all right? But I don't, I'm, I'm sure there's someone in this room <clears throat> that maybe you walked in here today and, and you have found yourself looking at things or running from things or, or thirsty and you cannot quite explain it. Maybe you've been looking at something over and over again only to come up dry. Maybe you're in the middle of a midlife crisis or trying to figure out what's gonna happen after college or what's gonna happen for you for college at all. And you are just at a loss. And you are finding yourself, even as a believer, as someone who follows Jesus, a little lost. Like what is happening? Why am I at a crossroads in my life? This is nothing new. The book of Jeremiah tells us in chapter two, verse 13, check this out. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, you can underline that, and hewed out cisterns that can hold no water. <laughs> they have forsaken me, the fountain of living, living waters, and hewed out cisterns for living water. So what we see here is we see a people who knew what it's like to taste of Jesus. And somehow along the way, they got distracted, they got tricked into going, you know what, I don't need this. I'll make my own. I don't know, you know what things were like were in the home that you were raised in, but in my house, this was called a strainer, okay? And some of you are in here going, no, sir, that's a colander. And what I would say to you is you're allowed to be wrong, okay? <laughs> so this right here is a strainer. Now, if you get done with yard work and you say, I would like something to drink, and I hand you this, you're gonna look at me like I'm crazy because it does what? It holds no water. It's actually meant to get water out but isn't it crazy how the little G gods that we tend to make for ourselves cannot hold water? They can't. They make awful little G gods. They offer zero hope. They offer zero help. Watch this, okay? You ready? Here's an example for you. My kids decorated little league career, which is just funny to say, okay? Okay, I'm all about some, some kids' sports. I participate in them, okay? So lower your weapons. I'm all about them. I'm all about them, but look at me. They hold no water. They can't. They offer zero hope and zero help. Hey, your career, your career, the extra zeros in your bank account, the dollar signs in your, in your Roth IRA, that's good. You get a big applause. It's probably bigger than my bank account. Guess what it can't do? Can't hold any water. It is a broken cistern. 
It's a broken cistern. It makes an awful little G God. Hey, your enemy, your enemy, Satan, who's out to trick you and destroy you. Understand how he destroys you is he tricks you. He tricks you into what? Forsaking the fountain of living waters to making your own cistern that can do what? Come on, guys. Come on online. It, can't, it cannot hold water. It's a broken cistern. And so Satan, your enemy, will trick you into saying, hey, take a second look. The grass looks greener on the other side, right? And people will abandon their marriages for something shiny and alluring that they think will satisfy them and it leaves them dry. Why? It's a broken cistern and you have forsaken the fountain of living waters for something you can make on your own that's broken in the first place, offers zero help and no hope. Your digital life, <clears throat> the life you live digitally, you know that one on social media? Who? guess what it is? Come on, what is it? It's a broken cistern. Is it evil in and of itself? Maybe, maybe. But man, don't you dare believe the lie that because you know a little bit about everyone, you don't need to know someone. You were created for relationships that are face-to-face, You should be locking eyes with the people who share your same address or dorm room. You were created for those relationships. Don't fall into the trap making a grave exchange for a digital relationship that cannot hold any water for a real one. Counterfeit, real. Follow me? Here's what I know is marriages fail Dads and moms are absent. All the, the challenges that, that you are facing, the spiritual speed bumps at hand, I bet all of those can be traced back to a broken cistern. It's not, that, it's not that Jesus isn't there. He's there. It's free. You can turn anytime you want. But for whatever reason, this has caught your eye and you've turned it into something that, A, it cannot satisfy and it's broken. <laughs> You can write this down. Where we place our hope is where we find our help. Where we place our hope is where we find our help. Three circle, I would ask you where your help, where your hope is today. Is it in the fountain of living water? Or have you hewed out, have you made a broken cistern for yourself? Wondering why you are still thirsty. Why, why am I? Man, it's shiny. All my friends like it. My family applauds it. But why is it not satisfying? Maybe it's a broken cistern. Maybe for some of you, you, like the questions all of a sudden are making sense. For the first time ever, you get that you understand a ton about Jesus, but you have never tasted of him. You've never drank from the fountain of living. Well, you can do that today. It says in Psalm 42, 1, so my soul longs for you, Elohim, the one true God. Romans 10, 9 says if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is who he is, who he says he is, and God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. You get adopted into the family of God, and it's a beautiful thing. You can do that right here, right now. You don't need to pray a special prayer. You can do that right where you are. Some of you, some of us online and in this room, you've been holding something that is of no value. And it's on a pedestal 
somewhere where it doesn't need to be. Three circle, would we step away from the cisterns that we've made for ourselves and turn to the fountain of living water? And I love this. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. We've referenced it a few times. The thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Most of the time when we reference this verse, it stops there. And we forget the second half, which is so, so good. I want you to think about this. I came, this is Jesus talking. I came that they, which is you and me, may have life and have it abundantly. The beautiful thing about this is when you put this down and you choose to drink from the fountain that will never run dry, you become so, your thirst is quenched, your life makes sense, things start to happen that you cannot quite put a description to. The only thing you know is there is nothing better than drinking from the fountain of living water. Church, can I get an amen? How good it is to turn to the fountain of living water. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for your truth. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict hearts to set aside the broken cisterns in our life and, and help us to come back to you. Help us to say yes to the fountain of living water today. Help us remember July 3rd, 2022, where we said no to something that cannot offer any hope or help. We turned to you, the fountain of living water. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Now, before we get out of here, I wanna invite you to do a little homework. And this is gonna feel weird, it's gonna feel different, but oftentimes when we do this thing in church world, whether it's here in the room or online at our campuses, um, we do this thing where the band comes out and they play a song and most of the time it's your cue to what? To shuffle everything back together and dip out so we can go get some lunch. And, and all that stuff's gonna be able to happen. It's all gonna be able to take place. But I really believe with all my heart that God is up to something in your life and mine. And sometimes I think we are too fast, too quick to dip out when God really wants to do some spiritual surgery, okay? So just like we talked about earlier, how songs take us somewhere. We got Dave over there, he's the musician, the magician, okay? Uh, I want you to sit in this because I think, I think there's some truths at hand that I don't, more importantly, God does not want you to miss out on. What, hey, what, have you identified this? Have you identified what this is for you? Maybe write it down. What do you need to do to go from here to here? Write it down. Maybe spend some time in prayer. Spend some time talking to God. When's the last time you did that? Would you do this now? We'll just sit maybe 20, 20 seconds. It's gonna feel weird. It's okay. Let's do it now.